Well, as I said, um, over this last number of weeks we've been looking at the story of David and uh, looking at it as the narrative unfolds in Second Samuel. And this evening we want to recap on that story, but to do so um, using the material that David himself wrote in the recorded for us in the book of Psalms. I often wonder what goes on in other people's heads. Um, often very grateful they don't know what goes on in mine and you're maybe much the same and trying to wonder and think out how do people deal with these circumstances how do they respond to things that happen in their lives and the truth is we are hugely indebted to poets and writers and songwriters not just, not just Christians who give voice to common and shared experience in a way that very often we can't, but we can read it, we can relate to it, and we can feel helped sometimes even just by hearing it expressed and recognizing that somebody else has wrestled with these things and, and dealt with these things. And one of the great aspects of Old Testament history, and especially that of the story of David, is the fact that David was a poet, a musician, a songwriter, as well as a king, a warrior and everything else he was clearly I don't know what your image of David is what your mental picture of David is but he was clearly a very gifted and impressive individual he was physically obviously very strong and all around he was clearly a strong charismatic leader he was an astute politician Um, that becomes very clear as well and yet he had this whole musical side to him and um, this whole side of poetry many kings and queens down through the years have been like that. One of the most fascinating people I think is Elizabeth I who was a remarkable woman in terms of her linguistic ability, her scholarly ability uh, and all the rest of it. And David was clearly a very gifted and impressive individual. So this evening we get to hear what we have been looking at over the last number of weeks, how it felt from David's perspective. And history becomes poetry as we follow the story of David thus far. Some of the Psalms we're going to look at are very clearly identified with key points in David's life. And you'll notice that even from the way in which the text is introduced um, in the Bible. Some are conclusions that are drawn from various strands of information that allow us to say, well, this Psalm probably fits this particular context or this experience. Um, So I want us to begin this evening with um, David's relationship with Saul. And the background to some of the stuff we're going to hear, first of all, really comes from 1 Samuel, and particularly the account in 1 Samuel chapter 19 in the first 10 verses. If you want to have a quick uh, glance at that, and you're using the Bible that's in the pew in front of you there, um, you'll find 1 Samuel 19 on page 291. And here's the the context, here's the situation uh, of what's actually going on at this particular uh, point in time. And if you're going to follow any of those passages, it would be useful to have your finger somewhere in the book of Psalms as well. We're actually going to start with um, Psalm 59, so you'll be able to move between the two. Um, And Psalm 59 is on page 577. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard. Tomorrow morning go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And we know a little bit about the nature of the relationship between David and Jonathan. 
And Jonathan does a very good job. Verse 4, he spoke well of David to Saul and his father, his father and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He's not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. That's a reference to Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel and you saw it and were glad. Why would you do, do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was, uh, was with Saul as before. So we had the, the, the early stirrings of Saul's jealousy and his frustration over David uh, and his insecurity beginning to grow. We seem to have all of that resolved, but clearly it's in the open here. Uh, and I'm sure it wasn't just between Saul, Jonathan and David either. It's in the open that Saul has a big problem with David. Um, and everything looks fine until you come down to verse 11. And the situation has deteriorated because Saul has actually, because of another victory David has had over the Philistines, Saul tried to kill him himself in a rage. And now he sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. Now, David's wife that's mentioned there is, of course, uh, Saul's daughter. And I would often love to know what goes on in a house like that, you know, where David knows that there are people waiting in the streets, in the alleys or whatever the, the situation was like, waiting for the morning, waiting for a chance to kill him. What goes through his head? What does he talk about with his wife? Well, listen to these verses from Psalm 59. We're going to use the first four verses and verse 9. And Joel's going to share with me tonight in some of the readings so that you're not just listening to my uh, mundane Belfast accent, but you'll also get a nice uh, unadulterated Zimbabwean lilt to the poetry as well, which I think will help enormously. Joel's going to read this portion of Psalm 59 for us, verses 1 to 4 and verse 9. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David and Mechatam, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers, and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me, for no offence or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. O my strength, I watch for you. O God, you are my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me. He will let me gloat over those who slander me. David makes his escape uh, with the help of his wife. And you may remember the story. Uh, he travels to a place called Nob. And there, one of the priests in charge there, Ahimelech, agrees to help David by providing him with some food and by providing him with a weapon, which is the old sword of uh, Goliath. Um, and we know that David was aware that there was someone else in the shadows as he was talking with Ahimelech the priest, a man called Deog the Edomite. And from 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 22, as events unfold, David kicks himself really in a sense because he knew 
Um, Diog the Edomite was there and he knew that that could spell danger. And if you remember the story, Diog the Edomite goes to try and ingratiate himself with Saul and he explains, well he doesn't explain, he, he says that the priests at Nob are in uh, cahoots with David. They're, they've joined with David. They're assisting him against Saul and you may remember the account of the dreadful slaughter of the priests and only one escapes. Um, and scores of men are just mercilessly slain out of Saul's fear and his jealousy. And David gets to hear about this. And Psalm 52 is part of David's response to this and part of David's dealing with this. I'm not sure if he anticipated, I don't think he did anticipate the implications fully for the priests. I mean, he must have known he was putting them at some risk, particularly if Diog is sitting in the, in the shadows there. But such was his own desperation that he went ahead with the situation. And Psalm 52 is one of his psalms, which reflects on this. When Doeg the Edomite said to Saul, David has gone to see Ahimelech. Why do you boast about your crimes, great warrior? Don't you realize God's justice continues forever? All day long you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to destroy others with your words, you liar. But God will strike you down once for all. He will pull you from your home and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. But I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O God. For what you have done. I will trust in your good name. In the presence of your faithful people. And from these words. I think there's a real sense of David's seething anger. In this psalm. And if you think that being open before God. And speaking to God. Means only ever being polite about things. You get a very different sense of it. From the psalms. And from what David is saying here. Well you may remember what happens. He flees from Nob. He leaves Nob. And he thinks he's probably going to be safer with the Philistines than he is amongst his own people in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10. Uh, and following, you have the account, if you remember, of um, David in the midst of the Philistines. And the commanders and, and the key people in the city come to the king and say, look, this is David. and He's a threat um, because they are worried about him. I mean, after all, he's the one who killed Goliath. He's the one that's been... Um, running riot through Philistine territory in recent months and years and they want the king to get rid of him and kill him and to survive David feigns madness and he scratches on the doors and he drools down his beard and the king when he sees him decides he's a madman we don't need people like that around here I think what the king said was I've got enough of that sort around here probably talking to his advisors But how did it affect David and what did David make of all of this? When you run from your own people, when you have this suspicion that Doeg could do great harm, you're in the Philistines, you just nowhere else to go. You're flat out of ideas 
how do you deal with this? Well, I'm going to read some bits from Psalm 56 and then from Psalm 34. Um, The first Psalm 56 seems to have been written or crafted in his mind while he was in that imminent danger. The moments between realizing that people were talking about him to the king and realizing that he needed to do something fast and starting to scratch the doors and, and drool down his beard. The second psalm seems to be more of a reflection on the event and God's deliverance in the situation. So let's hear from Psalm 56. For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time the Philistines seized him at Gath. O God, have mercy on me, for my people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one of them in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. There's a very real sense of isolation expressed in this psalm. And it's clearly one of the most isolated points of David's whole experience. And we get to hear him in that psalm rehearse the struggle with the issues just as I'm sure you do with the things that cause you problems and pain. This idea of discussing it with God. Like verse 5, they're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. He's working the whole thing out. And yet in verse 8, I think there's a really rather unique sense of the emotion involved for David. And a sense of expectation of God's tender response to him. You keep track of all my sorrows You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. We also have the account of David's reflection on this incident once he makes good his escape. And that's Psalm 34. And as he reflects on the experience, he's clearly going to use it as a means of teaching others about what it means to trust in God in very difficult situations. So let's hear how he does that in Psalm 34. Psalm of David, regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech, 
who sent him away. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us, let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed. And the Lord listened and saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children. And listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a long life, or a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be punished, but the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And you can just see the way in which he uses that very specific experience expressed in the earlier psalm and now uses it as a means of teaching and instruction to other people. There's a whole period that follows this when he's running from Saul and he has various opportunities to take Saul's life. And part of those years is chronicled in the Psalms, but there's rather a lot for us to be looking at together this evening. But if you want to work your way through them, um, some of the Psalms involved are Psalm 7, Psalm 16, Psalm 18, uh, Psalm 54, 57, and Psalm 142. So, I mean, there's a lot of Psalms in there which are all uh, emerging out of this period of being chased and hounded by Saul. I want us to hear parts of two of the Psalms of this period, Psalm 7 and Psalm 18. I think it's very interesting as we listen to part of Psalm 7, Joel's going to read for us in a minute, um, verses 1 to 6 and then verse 9, 11 and 17. Obviously some of these Psalms are written later and reflective and there's some terms and other things brought into them that are not specific just to the circumstances, but they originate from this time of trouble when Saul is trying to kill him. And one of the things that's really very interesting in this psalm is the way in which David puts into practice this sense of belief that the Lord is a righteous judge. We've already heard that kind of theme in his psalms. And one of the ways in which he puts this into practice is to be open before God and say basically, well, look, okay, if I deserve it, let it come. But I don't think I do. So deliver me. Psalm 7. Uh, Joel's going to read for us. Psalm 7, verses 1 to 6, 9, 11, and 17. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. 
Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life into the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. O righteous God, who searches the hearts and minds, bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. It's clear that David believes that personal integrity counts for something before God. And we get a sense of this as he gives thanks to God for delivering him from the hand of Saul in Psalm 18. And I want to use a few verses from Psalm 18. So you have on the one hand David being very open with God. He believes God to see everything, to know everything, to be a righteous judge. And that's why in the previous Psalm, in Psalm 7, he's not afraid to say, okay, if I'm guilty, bring it on. That's fine. Uh, But I'm not. So deliver me. And he, he, he believes that faithfulness before God and righteousness means something as far as God is concerned. And you'll see this worked out in Psalm 18. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And down to verse 20. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? 
Eventually, David becomes king, and you may remember the story of that, not only of Judah and Benjamin, but also of all of Israel. And yet it's a period, that time of coming together is a period fraught with difficulties, and you may remember the stories, one of the most profound stories, which reverberates right down through the rest of David's uh, kingship and beyond into Solomon's is Joab's slain of Abner and the way in which he tricks Abner and abuses David's hospitality and trust uh, and satisfy, satisfies a, a, a blood uh, feud by uh, killing Abner. And there are two Psalms, at least, that reflect different aspects of this period. Um, Psalm 26 seems to be a reflection of his dilemma concerning Joab's killing of Abner. And um, he's relating elements of this before God and, and in a way pleading his case before God. Um, and the minute Joel's going to read for us the first eight verses or the eight verses of Psalm 26. And then in Psalm 133, which we'll read, we have a kind of contrast and probably a reflection on his coronation of a united Israel. First time ever really united in quite this way. Um, it's called the Psalm of Ascent, which means it's written uh, or used in the context of coming up to worship God. So it, it belongs, its use belongs to a later period, probably when the temple was actually built. But it undoubtedly is a reflection uh, on the period of the nations coming together. So you can listen to these two. You have the threat and the uncertainty around the whole time of Joab's killing of Abner and everything that's happening. And you have David at the same time being able to reflect on the glory of what is happening and the goodness that comes out of a very fraught situation. So first of all, Psalm 26 and then Psalm 133. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers, and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in the innocence, and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. In Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like Precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. David brings the uh, ark to Jerusalem, and you may remember the account of that. The first attempt was an absolute failure, a bit of a disaster in every sense. And the second brought its own problems, not least the fact that one of his wives 
um, really began to despise him because of his public uh, abandoned worship uh, before God and before the people. Um, And Psalm 24 is a psalm that uh, reflects that kind of situation. And I'd like us to read it together as a congregation. So you might like to turn to Psalm 24. I'm going to be using the (coughs) copy of the psalmist in the New International Version. And it's on page 555. Um, Let's read this one together as a congregation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. There are other psalms, such as those for when David goes into battle. You think of Psalm 20, Psalm 21, or psalms like that. And last week we concluded uh, the account of what was happening in Second Samuel uh, in regard to the Ammonites and David's adultery with Bathsheba by reading Psalm 51 in the light of David's moral failure. But perhaps there are two other psalms which are closely related to that episode. Um, I'm thinking of um, Psalm 32 and Psalm 40, which we're going to look at in a moment or two together. I think Psalm 32 is a kind of more public expression of the experience and his reflection on what it is to what he has learned from this experience. Psalm 51 is very much his prayer to God. Psalm 32 may be a a public expression of that. Um, And then Psalm 40 uh, would seem to be a psalm in which the lessons uh, are shared with others. I'm going to use them going into the context of the Lord's table because as part of our service this evening, we remember the Lord and his death for us. And as part of our approach to this table and thinking about the issues of confession, these two psalms can be tremendously helpful. But before we read them and use them together, uh, and as we approach this uh, table of the Lord, I'd like us to use the words of another psalm, Psalm 84. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts me. As an expression for us of our approach to the Lord this evening as we remember Christ and his death for us on the cross. So I'm going to ask you to stand and sing uh, the words of this song, How lovely is thy dwelling place, coming from Psalm 84.
the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and, and talking about um, their observance of uh, the Lord's Supper. He doesn't have much to praise them uh, in terms of their behaviour. And um, it sounds extravagant and strange to us that uh, some get nothing to eat and others get drunk. Um, everybody will be offered something this evening. It will be small, but you all get the same. And you aren't going to get drunk on what's in the cup. It seems very strange and bizarre to us, but this was the way it was. This is um, the nature of church life. And, and in the context of it, the Apostle Paul says, Man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing, discerning what they're doing, without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. And to help us just think about what reflecting like that means, um, we'll use Psalm 32. Joel's going to read it um, for us. As a psalm in which David reflects on the glory of what it means to know sins forgiven, what it means to go through the pain and the sorrow of dealing with your sin, and exhorting us to not be slow in learning the lessons. Psalm 32 Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let anyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and the bridle. They will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright and high. Confession gives way to confidence, and nowhere more so than at this table. As we come to acknowledge and confess before God what it means for us as sinners to be here, it does because we see enacted in the bread and in the wine um, the story of God's salvation 
and the measure of his grace to us as we share together in the bread and the wine. We not only remember his death and the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, but recognize too that we take to ourselves of that grace which comes to us by faith in Christ. Psalm 40 is possibly a later reflection on the whole episode, and I want us to use this psalm as part of our worship as we gather around the table. And if you'd like to turn to Psalm 40, again I'm using the New International Version, um, we'll read it as a congregation. I'll read the first verse, and you read the second verse, I'll read the third verse, you read the fourth verse. So you read all the even-numbered verses, and I'll read the odd-numbered verses, and we'll hear this psalm as it goes back and forward between us as part of our recognition of confession before God. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me. put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord many O Lord my God are the wonders you have done the things you planned for us no one can recount to you were I to speak and tell of them they would be too many to declare. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay.